0: Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at DoxaBurlington.com. That's D-O-X-A Burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep what's written in it. Um, I would say that we've already certainly been blessed by the reading and uh, hopefully by the heeding as well. Remember, those two things do go together. There's an aspect where we need to know truth, but knowing truth only makes us accountable, right? Right. Uh, knowing truth makes us accountable to live out that truth in obedience. And the blessing comes both in the knowing and the doing. Uh, this week at camp, I led our students in our cabin for our devotion times to read through the book of James. And um, there it says, do not be hearers only of the word, but be doers uh, of the word. And so the blessing is found in, in your Bible is yes, we want to study it and, and we do study it here at Doxa. But more than study, we're not just trying to fill our minds with information. We are trying to fill our minds with information so that we can gain understanding, but so we can a- apply it practically through wisdom in every area of our lives. And so we've chosen the book of Revelation to study. Well, I've chosen the book of Revelation for us to study. And we've completed chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And today we're going to begin the next section of chapter 1. And this will go down from verse 9 through the end of the chapter, but today we're going to be in the first part of verse 9. We are simply walking along, we're mining, we're looking at at things, we're studying concepts and ideas, we're seeing how the rest of the Bible impacts and plays into what we are doing. And uh, it's been a great study. I I wrestle with myself in terms of we need to pick up the pace, but honestly, I, I really am enjoying this kind of and I, we're not meandering through it um, we're stopping and digging for gold uh, we're stopping and mining the treasures of God's Word. And I think as long as we're doing that and and there, that we're just going to keep on uh, at the current pace. And um, I was kind of doing some calculations. If we stay at the pace that we are right now, um, I think I can finish the book of Revelation by the time I'm 103. Uh, so I don't know what that says for the rest of you. but uh That's right. That's right. Jesus comes back, it won't matter, will really. it? All right, so let's look in verse nine, and I want to read just a portion of scripture so you kind of have it in 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 your mind. This is John's commissioning to do the writing. Uh, let's listen. I'm just going to read this this for us so you can kind of have an idea. The Bible says, "Hi, I John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos." Now, some people say Patmos, that's uh, uh but the original language is a long o, so it would be Patmos. I don't think you'll get kicked out of heaven for saying Patmos, but if you talk to someone, uh particularly if you go to the Holy Lands, they would know Patmos would be most uh, familiar. Uh, On the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So this is where John gets his Commission from God, if you will, uh, to write these details on the book of the Revelation. Uh, it's important that you know that John is going to write, as we see in verse 19, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which must take place. So this is not John on the on the island in the caribbean hanging out in the sun and saying hey i think i'll do some writing in fact he was doing hard time banished to the island of patmos uh, engaged in hard labor by this particular point in time, all of the other apostles would have died. They would have gone on, and he would have been uh, left alone in terms of the original apostles. Certainly other people there, um, other criminals and things who have been banished to the island uh, as well. But God comes to him, and God comes to him and tells him to write and even tells him what to write. And so what we are studying are the words that God has revealed about the things which are and the things which must take place after this. So here in verse 9, where we begin is he says, I, John, and rather than claiming apostleship or rather than, you know, kind of having a condescending attitude or anything along those lines, he certainly could with all his qualifications. Uh, he would be the disciple whom Jesus loved, for example. Uh, he, he By now, the other books that he has written, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John have been written. He's now uh, writing the uh Apocalypsis, if you will, of the, uh, of the book of Revelation. He doesn't give any qualifications. He doesn't give any special status or standing. He doesn't draw on anything that marketing experts would say, John, if you're going to try to sell something, or you're going to try to become well known, you need to, you need to promote yourself and do these things. He simply says this, I, your brother, John is not writing from a vertical condescending higher lower. He's not trying to inform people of uh, all that he knows. He's writing from a horizontal perspective. He says, "Look, when it comes to us, we're all the same. We're on the same level, we're on the same page. We we we're all right, we're all in this world." We're, You know, the people he's writing to are those who are saved in Jesus Christ and he is simply informing them what God has told him to do. Anything that he has, God has given him and anything he has to offer them is by the grace of God which came to him on the way to others. So he doesn't claim any special status. He simply says this, your brother. Then he uses this word, and this is really where we're going to focus today. By the way, the word brother would indicate that he's writing to Christians, right? Now, that's not saying, alright ladies, you can't read this, you can't read this. He's not, you know, he's just, he's just saying, hey, I'm a brother, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and, and we're, you know, I, as your brother, I'm writing this, not as a position of authority or anything along those lines, just as your brother, I'm writing to you. And so who would be included in the family? It would be the brothers and sisters that be in the family would be those who are saved, those who are born again, those who have, through the shed blood of Christ on the cross, repented of their sins and become part of the family of God. I told my campers this week that the gospel is is really easy. You see, God is holy and created a world in which it was perfect. But when man came into the world, man sinned and everything was put under the curse. And we had no way to save ourselves. But God sent His Son Jesus being fully God and fully man to live the perfect sinless life and to die the cruel death on the cross that we should have died. So when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is God, man, Christ, response. There always has to be a response to the gospel. God created the world holy and perfect. Man sinned and brought about sin's curse on the world. Jesus came to rescue and to redeem the world. What is your response? That's the gospel. So I told our students this week, that's one of the things that that I taught them. The gospel is simply God, man, Christ response. And there's only two responses. And that's it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But there are only two responses to the gospel. You can either repent and receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin and receive Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Or you can reject... The gospel and deny that Christ is the savior of the world. You don't change the truthfulness that he is the savior just because you deny it. He is still the savior of the world. You will either repent of your sins and be redeemed, receive him, or you will reject and deny him. On occasion through the years, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel. Somebody will say, well, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm rejecting the gospel. I'm just not yet ready to accept the gospel. And I say, my friends, what you need to understand is in your unwillingness to accept, you automatically reject. Right? Right? I went to my student's cabin this week or to one of their bunks and I took out a dollar bill. I don't have one right now. I took out a dollar bill and I said, I want to I, I wanna demonstrate that. And I said, uh, here's a dollar. What are you going to do? Well, he said, I'm taking it. He took it, right? And I said, give it back, give it back, give it back. Pretend like you're not going to take it. <laughs> right? And so he said, I don't want it. I said, okay, now that's rejecting. I said, but... If you look at that dollar that I'm offering you and you do not receive it, no matter how polite you are or words or lack of words that you say, you are rejecting my offer of the dollar. Folks, that's the way it is with the gospel. That's the way it is with the gospel. There, there is no in between. There is no delay. Stay. Listen. To 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 not accept is to reject. Now, God may be bringing you along the way. God may be enlightening your your understanding. God may be convicting you of your sin and things along those lines and working. But even in the process of God actively working in your life, beloved, it is important that you understand: if you die before the work of salvation takes place in your life, no matter what God did to organize the situation and circumstances to give you understanding and desire to read His Word and all of these things until you come to place in the point of particular salvation. That means the point of salvation in your life where you're transformed, redeemed, born again, saved, however you want to say it, regenerated. Friend, if you die before that moment, you will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell with full knowledge of the truth. And that's what we need to understand. So John is, says, your brother, writing to brother and sisters, those would be part of the family of God. And then he uses this other description, which is an interesting description as well. He says this, and partner in the affliction. Your translation may say in the tribulation. Uh, both are certainly um, uh, synonyms, uh, whether it's affliction or tribulation. There's a difference between everyday normal affl- affliction and tribulation. So what's he saying here? Is he saying a partner in the tribulation or in the affliction of, of everyday run of the mill? Or is he talking about your partner in the tribulation as in the great tribulation? And we've got to understand the difference between the two. And I'll talk about that more next week. But for right now, I want to look at this word partnership or partner in the gospel. Or partner in affliction, partner in affliction. Anybody ever heard the word koinonia? Yeah. Um, What is koinonia? Is it your favorite topic? Now, me, means fellowship, fellowship. It means fellowship. Now, when Baptist fellowship, we think it always has to have food. It doesn't always have to have food. Right? Um, but but it, biblical fellowship means that you come together and share life together. Maybe sharing a meal, but but sharing life together, doing Bible studies, come together. Really, Christians are called to be part of a community. Uh, the Bible knows nothing of a, of a, uh, a Long Ranger Christian. An isolated Christian. Um, everywhere in the Bible, when God saved, he, he made Him part of the body of Christ. And, and we should be seeking to live that out in partnership with, with one another. Um, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they got together for the reading of Scripture, for the prayers, for the breaking of bread. Um, and they devoted themselves together in fellowship uh, in, in those things. So the idea of koinonia, the idea of, uh, of fellowship, here is something that's a little bit different, and that's why I want to focus on it. Because I don't know how many of you would consider the fellowship of suffering, the fellowship of affliction. I don't know about you, but we don't oftentimes use the word fellowship to in connection with affliction and suffering. And yet here in this, and as you're going to see as we look at a couple other passages of Scripture, there is a partnership in affliction, tribulation, and suffering. And that partnership is that we are better together than apart. This fellowship among people who are struggling with affliction and suffering and things along those lines. But there's also a greater fellowship of suffering and affliction. Because it's in our affliction, it's in our fellowship of affliction and tribulation that we learn something of the suffering that Christ endured. This word koinonia it means to experience together it means to come together and to do this and for whatever reason we as christians would rather suffer alone than together we would rather bear our afflictions by ourselves than we would we're embarrassed to share that we're struggling we're embarrassed to share that that we are suffering we feel like uh through the years uh not here at Doxa, lord willing but but we we in oftentimes in church feel like that, that we have to put on our little smiley face and walk in the door of the church and pretend like the world is perfect and that everything is great and I'm walking with Jesus and I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, aren't you? I'm so blessed. And in reality, all of us, all of us, not all of you, all of us, are either in the midst of affliction, maybe coming out, being uh, in a reprieve from affliction, or headed for some sort of affliction. Some of you here in this room, and some who will listen to this message, and some who are part of our fellowship who are not here even at the moment, um, are certainly bearing a tremendous amount of suffering and affliction. And we know some of those things because so we're certainly praying about them. What about the affliction? You know, um, and this is going to be different, by the way, than Joel Olstein's Your Best Life Now. Modern-day Christianity wants you to believe that if you come to faith in Christ, that your life is going to get easier. I want you to believe that just because you're part of the Fellowship of the Saints, which you are, all of us who are saved are part of the Fellowship of the Saints, because you're part of the Fellowship of the Saints, that, that, and you know God as your father and you're part of the family of God, that you're automatically blessed and you're automatically prosper and you're automatically do all these things. And there are a whole lot of churches and TV shows, uh, TV preachers and a lot of radio preachers that, that sell books and promote that idea. Fact of matter is there's nothing farther from that's there's nothing farther from the truth found in Scripture than that, even in what we see today. So let me show you what I mean. Go with me if you would. Think with this idea of partnership affliction. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and If you need to find how to get there, we always use good eating popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. <coughs> Philippians chapter 3, We're going to, we'll pick up in verse 7 just so we can kind of get this in context. But the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, which was a wonderful church by the way, says this, But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Look at verse 10. My goal. Think about the Apostle Paul. What would his goal be? My goal, he says, my desire, my goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Your goal ought to be to know Him. To know is to know Him personally and intimately. You should be growing in your knowledge and understanding. The Bible says that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, probably the the closest person to to God that walked the face of the earth in, in those days. If you could... Put de- levels of degrees on that. Certainly, certainly a, a phenomenal um, Christian church planner. I mean, pastor, theologian, writer of scripture. I mean, all the things the Apostle Paul did. Who received a first person post resurrection appearance from Christ. Setting part for the work of the ministry. And yet he says. Not braggadociously, I know Him, He says my goal is to know Him. Is that, is that your goal? Is that your desire? Everybody wants the power of His resurrection, right? We sing, resurrection power, fill me this hour. All of us want the, the, and and have, by the way, as through Christ, have, the, the resurrection power to fill us this hour, the same power that raised Christ from the dead will one day raise you and me from the dead as well. Everybody wants to know God and everybody wants the power of the resurrection, but notice what the apostle Paul says. And the fellowship of his suffering you see that you see that the partnership in affliction John says the fellowship and a suffering Paul says we don't use partnership fellowship we don't use that word with suffering and affliction but but we should and and what he means is this what he means is is that that when we come together and we desire to grow in our understanding of who Christ is, The only way that we can in somehow, in some way, fellowship with Christ in what He purchased for us on the cross is through the fellowship of suffering. I've learned through my few short years of walking with God that oftentimes the longer and the closer you walk with God, the harder life is. Not the easier, the harder. The more you pursue a life of holiness, the more you're going to stand out from the world. The more you're going to have values based upon the Word of God, the more you're going to be contradictory to the world. And the bolder that you live your life for Christ The bolder the attacks are gonna come. You see, if you want a life of ease as a Christian, just get saved and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Just continue to walk the direction of the devil in the rest of the world and you for the most part will be left alone. But if you turn and start walking towards God that you may know Him and if you desire to experience the resurrection, power and all whatever that means, then you're going to turn and you'll be going in a different direction, a different path. And there's going to be a lot of obstacles. There's going to be a lot of opposition. And for whatever reason, God has deemed in his purpose to grow us in intimacy with him to be through the path of affliction and through the path of suffering. see, Jesus prayed in the, God, in the garden, Father, not my will. If there's any way this cup can pass from me. And yet there was no other way. He had to experience the suffering in, in listen, a magnificently greater capacity than any suffering that you and I have ever or will ever face. And I don't care what it is that you go through. Not only did he bear the wrath of man, but he bore the wrath of Satan and demons and everything they had to try to disqualify him from the cross. And once that had been done, God came and poured out his wrath on his son on the cross. It pleased the father, Isaiah said, to crush his son in order that you and I should be forgiven and brought in. Christ suffered more. So when you suffer affliction, when you suffer and do those things, listen, you and I are only getting a glimpse of the suffering that Christ did. But to the extent that we remain in that suffering and remain in that affliction, remain in, we remain in that fellowship with God in a way that others can't experience. I'm not asking you and and I don't want you to leave here and go figure out how you can get yourself into some trouble. I promise you. You know, I want to know God better so let me go stir the pot and see if I can get fired from my job or let me go walk over in the middle of a, you know, group of ISIS and pronounce Christ. No. You don't have to do those things because as you walk with God and as I walk with God, God has ordained that our journey and our path will involve affliction and suffering. The Apostle Paul had his thorn in the flesh. He asked God to remove it on three occasions. And God simply said this, My strength is made known through weakness. Weakness. God's strength is not made known through your strength. God's strength is made known through weakness. To look at it a different way, uh, if you will, let's go over to Acts chapter 14 and let's just take a look at what in the world is he talking about. Acts chapter 14 Well, look towards the end of the chapter. He has been in Iconium and Lystra preaching the gospel. And everywhere the apostle Paul went and preached the gospel, one of two things happened, either a revival or a riot. Either a lot of people who were saved and very happy that he came or a lot of people were very angry and it didn't mean stuff to him. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, this is one of those particular times. I want you to look at this. He says, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Oh, how's your day, by the way? Okay. Now, I mean I want you to just I mean I want you to notice I mean they you know, they took him typically when they would you know they would enrage the crowd they would pick up stones they these stones they would have to hurl with with two hands people are stoned to death even today on a regular basis there are places around the world that those things take place it's a horrific way to die but I want you to notice what it said. I mean, just verse 20, I mean, just like that, after disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into town. That's a, that's a miracle, by the way. That's a miracle. They either would kill you or, or you were so close to death they left you dying. And what happened? He just got up. And what would you do? He got up and went into the town. Would you get up and go the other way? Probably. He got up and went into town. You ever notice that? Look at this. I, I love this. And after he got up and went into town, the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. You see, Paul knew something of the affliction. He knew something of, uh, of, of suffering, suffering particularly for the cause of Christ. Now, now let's be clear. Jesus said, "In this world, you, were, you will have tribulation. Right? All those who pursue godliness will have tribulation and suffering. The suffering and affliction and tribulation he's talking about is not splinter." Right, it's not that you were using a hammer like our kids were this week, and they were banging nails, and more than a few nailed their thumb, right? They're not suffering for Jesus because they 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 did that that right to to have a bad day is not bearing a cross take up your cross daily and come follow me that's not the type of thing that that we're talking about here what we're talking about is is we're talking about the things that are right that are enduring the things that would require the fellowship of suffering the affliction I'm talking about the things when you pray and in the midst of praying you um, There's no way out. Paul writes to young Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four, and he says, "Young Timothy, you're doing a great job as a pastor. There's some areas that you need to grow in." But he writes this swan song. It's the last words the Apostle Paul would write. Perhaps within hours or days or a few weeks, they would take him and. Kill him. And here's what he says about those things. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. "...for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside the myths, but as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship." Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And he goes on to to say this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. What do you mean I'm already being poured out like a drink offering? Think about the drink offering. They would take a goblet of wine, fine wine, and as an offering to God, they would just pour it out freely. This would be uh, an expense of money to enjoy uh, that. Yet instead of doing so, it was as if they just poured it out every day where? and he came out easily Paul says that's how his life is his life is nothing. He's not be groaning, begrudging the fact that he lost everything for the sake of Christ. He's not, give, he's not begrudging that he gave up his riches and being a Pharisee and well-known and all of those things. He gladly endured, right, the losing of everything, all the afflictions and all the sufferings and all the difficulties and everything that he went through in life. He did so. And he says, my life is, listen, it's but a drink offering being poured out out to to God. He's not trying to cling to it. Man, I think most of us would be more like a blizzard. <laughs> right? You've been to Dairy Queen and they make the blizzard and they turn it upside down. If you're gonna get that out they have to <laughs> pat it on the bottom and it still may not come out. The Apostle Paul just freely says, My my life my life is just a it's just it's just a drink offering. Poured out. Poured out. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think what amazes me about the fellowship of suffering and affliction is you look at the Apostle Paul's life. And you look at all that he suffered and all he endured. And I look at some of your lives. And look at the journey that even we ourselves have been on. and Of suffering and affliction and hardships and things along those lines. And the more I look at the Apostle Paul's life and compare it to mine and situations that I know, I have a hard time saying... I have fought the good fight. And yet, people who aren't, aren't aware, they aren't involved, they think everybody gets this said about them. They think that everybody right, just because because what because you lived the Christian life because you you never shared the gospel with anybody, you never stepped outside of your comfort zone, you never sacrificed greatly for God you right yeah i mean i'm I'm not saying. Look, God honors the ordinary Christian life. I'm not saying that we ought not to be ordinary. Nobody, God doesn't call everybody to be extraordinary Christians. God does His means of grace through ordinary Christians. We, listen, we're planting this church through the ordinary means of grace. And yet you don't coast through the Christian life doing your own thing, you living your life the way you want to without any interest in the things of God. No, not regular participation in the kingdom of God. And think at the end of the day that this will be said about you. I've probably ruffled more than one family's feathers when they wanted me to include this verse in the funeral for their loved one who rarely, if ever, even attended church, let alone was a stalwart Christian or somewhat. But notice what happens for those who take that on. Notice for those who endure the fellowship of suffering... Notice those who press on towards the the prize, those who aren't afraid to be a witness on campus, who aren't afraid to be different. Notice those who go there and understand that where you go, God is sending you there for the purpose of carrying the gospel to that community. Don't be like the, the masses, graduates, and go off to college and not even find yourself involved in church. Apostle Paul says this, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. Can I be honest with you? I have seen through... Through the years, that those who love His appearing the most are those who often have suffered the most. Not simply looking for a way of escape, they stood up for Christ. They've endured hardship. They've lost things. They've you know right? they've been rejected. They've had you know lost. Things along those lines, they didn't get the, the career uh, promotion because of their faith or things along those lines. The more you suffer in this life, Christian, the more you long for the life that is to come. So that's what he says. He says to press on in those things. Just look while you're there in Second Timothy. Go to Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter two verse eleven, this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. And notice verse 12. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him if we endure not if we give up not if we quit not if we stop second timothy chapter 2 verse 12 if we endure we will also reign with him there's a connection there's an endurance factor that has to happen here and when we persevere when we endure listen we Receive the blessings and the joys of doing so. In fact, not only is this the message of Paul to the churches and the pastors that we've seen, but this idea of perseverance is the idea of what John is talking about really throughout the book of Revelation. Let me just give you these verses quickly. Go back to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Notice what he says. I'll give you these and we'll be done. Revelation chapter, chapter one. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in affliction, Kingdom and endurance. The word endurance is the word minnow uh, in the Greek. Now, Pappy, when I say mino, I'm not thinking Don't be thinking about fishing. It's not that kind of <laughs> mino. M i n n o w. Mino means to abide in the Greek language. Meno, m e n long o. Mino means to abide. Hoopo under. So to endure means to abide under. It means not seek the way of escape, not take the path of least resistance, the path of, of least pain, but when that, when that opportunity comes and when that affliction comes, you persevere. You remain under that. You wait for God to rescue and redeem. You wait for God to accomplish and fulfill His purpose. When those things come, God is at work in there and He is working out His purpose in your life through that affliction. You stay there. You stay hoopomino, you stay under that, you endure that. Because if you if you go under that and then you're like, ooh, and then you walk away from it, and God's purpose is to do his work through that, my friend, you will visit that same place time and time and time again until you are able to endure. Kupomeno means to abide under, to abide under. It's found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. He says, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. Oh, I wish that second part wasn't in there. (laughs) I want God to know. I want to be reminded that God knows the hardships that we endure. I want, I want to know that God knows and He does. But it's that, it's that second part also. It says that I have not grown weary because the truth is in my life. Probably as much as He knows the endurance of the affliction, He knows the times that I have grown weary. Look down in chapter 2 verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. God knows when you are hupominoing. He knows when you are abiding under the affliction. He has not abandoned you or forsaken you. God has not removed His presence from your life while you're going there. I know we think about it in those terms. Well, God, where are you? He's right there. Listen, if you're in the middle of the fire, God's got his hand on the thermostat. He knows what you can handle, and he's going to give you more than what you can handle, but not more than what you and he together can handle. Mm -hmm. Don't ever believe that lie that God will never give you more than what you can handle. He does it all the time. But he will not give you more than what you and he can handle together. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. I can't wait to spend some time on this verse, but just look. He says, Because you have kept my command to endure. You've commit, listen, endurance is a command of God. It is a command of God. Because you have kept my command to endure. You're suffering, you're under that. Hey, listen, welcome to the fellowship. Now endure. It's a command of God to endure. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't seek the easy route to escape. Endure. There's blessings if you endure. Revelation chapter 13 verse 10. Revelation 13.10. This is particularly speaking of the time of the Antichrist when things really get heated up. But I want you to notice this for the same word as used here. If anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance And faithfulness from the saints. Every person who's born again, every person who's part of the family of God, every person from whom Christ died who's repented and believed, congratulations, you are a saint. There's only two categories of people in the world the saints and the ain'ts. Which one are you? It's perfectly acceptable to call me Saint Chad. I don't, you know, you don't have to if you don't want to. That's how God sees me. I know it. we sort of stumble over those things when we look at other people and go Saint Sybil, no. But every person who's part of the family of God, the Bible calls saints. Did you notice? Did you notice? This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. The truth is affliction and suffering comes on every person in the world. It rains on the just and the unjust equally. It's just that you'll endure the afflictions and the suffering and the fellowship with the saints and with your Savior, or you will endure them without the saints and the Savior. I can't imagine that many people on many occasions have said to me, Pastor Chad, I don't, I don't have a clue how I could have gotten through what I just walked through were it not for my church family and were it not for my God. I can't tell you the number of people who have come to me and said, I can't imagine enduring these tribulations without knowing Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Finally, Revelation chapter 14 verse 12 gives us a little more insight. He says this calls for endurance from the saints. And then he tells us, what does it mean to endure? What does it mean to endure? We've talked about endurance, we've talked about it, but what exactly does it mean to endure? Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, this calls for endurance from the saints who do two things, who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. I don't understand why Christians who suffer and go through pull away from their church family. I don't understand why they feel like they have to pull away and go suffer at home alone. I don't know why you have to walk away from the church when you're going through a period of affliction and things along those lines. What does it mean to endure? It means to press ahead in that which God's called you to do. To endure means the two things. It means to keep God's commands. Keep God's commands. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of what's going on, keep God's commands, and one of those commands is to endure. But also, keep their faith in Jesus Christ. You know what that's called? Beloved, that's called the perseverance of the saints. In fact, those that you know that have walked away, that have walked away from God and walked away from the church when the period of affliction and suffering and trouble have come, you know what that means? They went out from us because they were never really one of us. For had they truly been one of us, they would have remained. Oh. The perseverance of the saints is not, not what ability do you have to hang on and not let go and God's gonna sling you around and test you to see how much you can endure. The perseverance of the saints is that God in His grace and mercy is going to sustain you through the most persevering trial and tribulation and affliction and suffering that they're possibly, that you could possibly endure and at the end of the day, rather than boasting in your ability to walk through that, you can say, my God has kept me. And he never let go. Brother, that's the perseverance of the saints. That's what the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is all about. It's God holding you and never letting you go through the period of affliction through the times where endurance is needed and He does that for His own. No wonder John would say in Revelation 1 your brother and partner we're not exempt we're not exempt from it and we're commanded by God Given strength and grace to endure. What will you do when your time of affliction comes? As I think about this, it's impossible for those who are outside of Christ It's impossible for them to endure. They can endure for a season, but then depression, discouragement, and bitterness, and anger, and all these things set in. I know it happens in the unsaved because it happens in the saved as well. But the difference between a person who is saved and a person who is lost enduring the trial of affliction and endurance is the person who is saved has their Savior he had, they have their savior to walk through this trial with them. In fact, he's ordained the journey and he's ordained the path. But also, but also, they have their church family. And I couldn't imagine going through those things without their church family. So why wouldn't God, why wouldn't God just take us home? Save us and take us home. Why did he leave us here to do that? talk about it next week we'll talk about it next week friends Jesus is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense or he's your cornerstone there's no getting around him there's no getting away from him my prayer is that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior and that you're walking with him daily and if not then let's talk about it we want to help you We want to help you to be strengthened. We want to help you to have your questions answered to know what it means to be saved and what it means to walk with Him in obedience. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, on the one hand, this is a partnership, a fellowship that we would not want to be a part of. And yet, on the other hand, knowing what our Lord and Savior went through, God, we are so thankful that we can just in a small way or capacity experience what He experienced. His was undeserved. Oftentimes, ours is deserved. We live in a sinful world. Father, even when we suffer, we catch a glimpse of what it was like for Christ to suffer unjustly on the cross. When we are treated unfairly, we're reminded that Christ was treated unfairly. When we suffer unjustly, there is no one who suffered more unjustly than Jesus. When we are treated cruelly, there's no one who is treated more cruelly than Jesus. When we experience rejection, there's no one who is more rejected than Jesus. Who even cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm thankful that through Jesus we can have this partnership in affliction. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we have one another to bear on, to bear one another's burdens and that we can walk humbly with one another. Even John writing this was banished to the island of Patmos and Excruciating heat, doing hard labor, even as probably 90 year old man. Mm -hmm. Father, help us to desire that we may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. In Jesus' name I pray. God's people said.